everyone. Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast, and this is a very special episode. It's part one of our 2018 NBA playoff preview. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I'll be your host today, and I'm joined as usual by my co-podcasters. First up on the line from Chicago, we got 538's Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. Hey, Neil. What's going on? Not much. Just excited to talk some playoffs with you and also here in studio with our fellow 538 sports writer, Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. In this episode, we'll be covering the Western Conference. We'll bring you everything you need to know about the first round matchups. And here's how it's going to work. So for each series, I'll tell you guys the odds that our 538 Carmelo model gives for the favorite. And I'll have you guys tell me whether you think that's too high or too low. And most importantly, why you think that that number might be a little off. Then we'll talk about what you're watching for in the series as a whole that might have bigger implications for the entire playoff landscape. You guys ready? Let's go. So first up, we're going to talk about the number one seed Houston Rockets against the number eight seed Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, of course, just barely got into the playoffs by winning the last game of the season over the Denver Nuggets. And their prize is the Rockets, who we've talked about, uh, I think, a few episodes ago as being this historically great team. Our model gives a 92% chance to the Rockets to beat the T-Wolves and advance to the second round. Uh, start with you, Kyle. Do you think that's too high or too low? Um... It's probably too low. I mean, like, <laughs> Luke Richard and Bob Mute is uh, going to miss the first round uh, with a dislocated shoulder. It's the second time he's uh, popped that thing out this season. Uh, he missed, like, 15 games with the first time, I think, and that's a kind of injury that, like, destabilized. Anyway, and Bob Mute is important, but not that important. They're going to beat the Wolves. Uh, you know, I, I look at that. I think it's probably a little bit too high, but it makes sense based on what we saw during the regular season. Um, the Rockets... I think scored 130 points per 100 possessions this year against the Timberwolves, which we knew the Timberwolves defense is bad, but um, I was noticing that on my own. I'm writing something about the Timberwolves this week and saw that tweet from Zach Lowe, and then John Schumann from NBA.com chimed in and said, that's actually the worst of any team, basically the highest point total that any team is allowing against a conference opponent in the entire league. So that's pretty bad. Uh, that's my concern with the Timberwolves is just they, they've got the offense to play with anybody. Defensively, this is probably the worst matchup they could have. They like to play two bigs at a time, and obviously the Rockets like to play the spaced-out offense. So it, it doesn't favor them in that sense, and I, I do like – it's also a young group too outside of Butler and a couple of the other guys. So I, I would tend to go Houston here pretty strongly. What do you think the Wolves would need to do in the hypothetical universe, whether it's that 8% of times that, that our model gives for them winning the series? What, what does that look like, do you guys think, if they were to engineer the upset? Uh, what, what kind of things would have to fall into place perfectly for them? Well, first they would need to injure an important rocket. Uh, which is, where <laughs> which is I, maybe built into the model, you know, maybe no, no, that's histor- some of the 8%. Historically, historically, like when upsets like that do happen, like there are injuries, like things can happen. And so, yeah, that, that is built in, like, you know, by proxy. This is your, like, Derek Rose gets hurt for the Bulls in 2012 type situation. Didn't go well, no. Um, but beyond that, they need to continue scoring the way that they've been scoring all season. Um, which, their offense has yeah they have a top three offense it's uh producing very well in the regular season uh but that's also a regular season offense where you saw last night you see over and over uh that a lot of their you know crunch time sets a lot of the things they go to get them contested shots get them contested shots that you know they make uh at a decent rate because Jimmy Butler's very good Charles Anthony Towns is very good um Jamal Crawford's having a good season uh and that's also something that 
can be schemed out in the playoffs by a team uh, that's as good defensively as the Rockets uh, if they're just focusing on that kind of thing. Uh, and you have to see them over and over and over again. So they would need their offense to continue to be as good in addition to, you know, probably some other things going their way. I mean, I think really if they can manage to keep games close, uh, again, I, I feel like Houston is maybe bulletproof in that sense too because they're so good in the clutch with all the ISO stuff they do. They're used to that style. But I think that, you know, that's the one thing Minnesota has done pretty well this year is play well in the clutch when they've had Butler. I think that's actually a huge part of the reason that they struggled to even make the playoffs once he got hurt is that he has such a huge high usage rate in late game situation. I think almost 43%, um, when, when he's actually playing. And so, you know, that's like LeBron levels. That's really high. He plays well in those scenarios. He gets to the line. If you can keep the game close in those scenarios, they give themselves a chance. But again, looking at those four games they played with Houston this year, I think only one of the games was even within 10 points, and I want to say it was one that Butler didn't plan. So I don't feel too great about this. I actually think that they would have been a better matchup had they played the Warriors without Steph Curry um, because the Warriors' offense is much different and less potent without Curry. And the Warriors sometimes, depending on how interested they are, can kind of have lulls on defense. And could they're prone to play a shootout sort of game. And I think that's the sort of game you want to play if you're Minnesota. You could win those sorts of games. But Houston's defense is better than Golden State's, at least at this moment, the way they've looked the last couple of weeks. Okay, so Chris, what are you watching for, uh, assuming that uh, Houston does win this series? Uh, will we see anything from them that might provide clues about you know, how, how ready they are and set up to make a run deeper into the playoffs? Or is this just sort of such a lopsided series that we might not learn anything along the way, even if Houston does kind of roll? Well, I mean, the, the one thing, I, I, again, I, I felt like the 90% number was a little high. I mean, I feel like there are some things that could potentially get exposed here a little bit. The one thing Minnesota has going for them is that they've got enough scoring on the wing to really take advantage of the fact that Luke Mbamute is going to be out. Um, granted, Houston can cover for that. They've got Ariza. They've got P.J. Tucker. But it does hurt not having somebody like that off the bench. Um, I'm curious to see how how deep into their rotation they go. Mike D'Antoni's kind of known for not going terribly deep into his rotation uh, I'm curious to see kind of how on one accord they look defensively. Uh, they've been pretty in sync all season with the way they switch defensively. So, I mean, I'm just curious to see is this is this a Houston team that you know is showing kind of a different coat at this point and is able to get through the series. They should win this series in four or five games. Um, you know, Minnesota at one point was really clicking to where you wouldn't have expected that, but now still a, a team with guys that aren't experienced in this stage of the game. I, I just want to see, can Houston close this out and show to be the dominant team that they should be at this point? So it's the same for me where you have, you know, Chris Paul teams, James Harden teams, you know, there's, you know, rap on those guys, uh, and a bunch of guys who haven't been there. Uh, Tucker has, you know, been with the Raptors, uh, never, uh, Capella has only been with this Rockets team. And so, yeah, like, let's see them close out a team that they should in four games, in five games, and, yeah, like that tells you something just about the way that they're approaching the playoffs, whatever. But, uh, as far as just, you know, X and O's, like, no, we, we're not going to find out too, too much about this team unless, you know, the defense just falls to shambles without, uh, Bamute, um, and they, you know, are allowing the Wolves to score a lot. And then it turns out that Bamute is going to maybe miss more time. Uh, there are things that, like, can shake out, but, um, I mean, th- those are just, you know, 
farther down concerns. Okay, so it sounds like both of you guys are leaning toward uh, the Rockets in either four or five. Am I uh, reading that correctly? And unless unless the Timberwolves get really hot, I mean, I tend to think that the Rockets will take care of business with this one in four games. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm picking four games. I'm I'm not seeing that. Yeah, for what it's worth, our model thinks that there's a 34% chance that this series will end in four, but it thinks that there's a 70% chance that this series will end in either four or five. So it does seem to be kind of an agreement with the model here. Okay, let's move on to the next series, uh, and we're going to do it bracket style. So we're talking about the number four seeded Oklahoma City Thunder taking on the number five seeded Utah Jazz, uh, and this was also one that sort of got thrown into flux. Uh, with the Jazz losing to the Blazers last night, they uh, slipped down to the five seed, and that creates, I think, a really interesting series. Actually, maybe the uh, the best series of the first round, uh, at least according to our model, it is the closest. We give the Thunder a fifty-two percent chance of beating the Jazz. What do you guys think? Does does that sound about right? Does that sound too high or too low? Uh, so for me, that's a little high. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a wide variance. On too the, high for the Thunder. Too high for the Thunder. Uh, I mean, the Jazz have been really good lately, and this is not a great matchup for them. Uh, they have a really inconsistent offense, and of all the defenses that you're going to find in the bottom half of that bracket, or in like really anyone outside of you know the top two, uh, this is the one you don't want to see. Uh, and so. You know, there's, there's, there are, you know, wide, you know, confidence intervals on this thing, like where it could just turn out that the Thunder show up and the Thunder play the way, you know, they have in the best games that Thunder have played. Um, the defensive schemes where they, you know, let, uh, Adams get isolated with wings and, you know, let their, um, let their guards get, you know, pinned down by, you know, talented bigs. That's going to come into play with favors and Gobert a little bit, but not as much as it can against other teams. So there, there are some things going their way, but that, offense has not looked great that's an isolation offense a lot of times and with the gobert back there like i have a lot of concerns about their ability to just score the ball so uh 52 sounds a little bit high i I would kind of go with the jazz in this one what do you think chris no i mean you know normally me and kyle like to to hash things out and argue over this stuff but i i agree with them i i would probably favor the jazz straight up in this series um you know the the thunder won the season series i think was it 3-1 um, but Gobert didn't play in a couple of those games, um, including one where the Thunder really won by a lot. Um, so I, I tend to think that, again, exactly what Kyle said, a really, really consistent defense, uh, for the most part. They didn't play great last night. Um, but, uh, you know, arguably the best defense in the league, definitely by a long shot the best defense the second half of the season, uh, against an offense that is very hit or miss and an offense that, um, you know, the guy that they're expecting to come in as their third scorer who's kind of hit a rough patch at times uh, late in the season is, you know, definitely the worst season of his career really from an offensive standpoint. And the fact that, you know, very quietly, and I was talking to someone about this when I was in Miami for Oklahoma City's second-to-last game the night they clinched, Alex Sabrinas has a concussion. Uh, whether or not he's able to go for the first game or two of this series, uh, he's not a huge, huge player for that team, but he's probably their best shooter. And when you're talking about a series where you're going to need to open up the floor a little bit to keep Utah honest in some cases, especially with a guy like Corey Brewer, uh, especially if Brewer's not playing particularly well on defense, you need somebody like that to space the floor, especially as a substitute. So I, I really like Utah in this series a lot. I mean, I would probably go as high as saying that, you know, 60% would have been a more appropriate number for a team like Utah. Um, I know record-wise they're not that far off from each other, but I think Utah should be a much stronger favorite than, than what the Thunder is. 
Yeah, according to uh, our Carmelo ratings, the Jazz are the third best team in the NBA right now. Uh, they trail the Rockets and Raptors, and we can kind of argue about why the Warriors aren't higher in there and some of the other particulars later in this preview. But uh, it does kind of speak to the way the Jazz and, – and I should note, this is after taking into account our adjustment for playoff experience, which the Jazz, I believe uh, we talked about this at some point, had the lowest playoff experience uh, adjustment or rating or whatever you want to call it of any team in the playoff field. And the Thunder are actually, I think, fourth among all playoff teams. They only trailed the Cavs, Warriors, and the Spurs in that regard. So – in some ways, it's a little bit of a referendum on the value of having a veteran core plus home court and see how far that gets you up against a team that's sort of on fire in the second half of the season and, and really rising. So, guys, what are you looking for out of this that might have implications over the rest of the playoffs or, or you know, hoping to learn about either of these teams as you watch this series? Oh, I mean, we need to find out what the Thunder are in the playoffs. We, like... They've been telling us all year, oh, like, look at us against the best teams. And they beat the Rockets a little bit ago, so okay. Uh, look at us against the best teams. They've had a good record against winning teams. They've had a good record against the elite teams. Uh, and now it's time to see that. Now it's time to see if, uh, all the talk all year long about, you know, it's time to get this together. Uh, yeah, so like, let's see if the offense can, like, actually click for two games in a row. Let's see if the defense without Robertson can, you know, maintain, you know, a, standard a play that's you know gonna you know be acceptable in the playoffs and so so yeah like we just need to see if they are the team that they've been telling us they're going to be all season i mean we're looking at a team that has three guys that for at least the last year or two and in some cases longer have played where they're basically the only true option on offense and so it's been a you know kind of a struggle at times to kind of get them to play together as a team Carmelo is still adjusting the idea of being an off-ball guy for the most part um, and is playing with teammates that aren't the greatest at passing the ball and kind of hitting a guy right in the hands with a pass. And so can they hit a rhythm offensively? I think defensively they're probably good enough to, to win a series or even two series in the playoffs, um, obviously much more so when they had Robertson than, than with Brewer. But I, I, I'm really curious to see kind of what Utah's offense looks like. You know, they're – the first team in forever, it seems like, to be led by a rookie offensively in, in Donovan Mitchell. Um, it's an offense that, you know, is very, very reliant on the pass as opposed to a lot of these teams, especially a team like the Warriors without Steph, where they're putting the ball in the hands of Durant and saying, just make something happen. And so the Jazz, you know, kind of how they hold up uh, in a situation where You've got a little bit of a new look team there as far as where your offense is coming from and what you're relying on. Um, I think their defense will hold up fine. We know that. But will the Jazz have enough offense to really put a scare in the teams the way that I think they deserve to be taken seriously? And so I'm kind of curious to see what happens with the Jazz. I, I expect at some point that the Thunder are going to look inconsistent offensively. Right. And so we made that both against the Thunder, but for the Jazz, yeah, if they just stone the Thunder in like four or five games, which is, you know, I think possible, uh, maybe not probable, but if they do that, then that tells you, yeah, we should take them a little more seriously against the Rockets, should take a little more seriously the, the idea that the Warriors threw that game the other night to get the Jazz in the other half of the bracket. Um, but yeah, like the, the Jazz can show a little bit like more because they, they are by a bunch of the ratings, by a bunch of everything else over the, uh, since they got Gobert back over the last however many games of the season have been one of the actual best teams in the league. So Kyle, what's your pick for this one? Jazz in six. Chris? 
Yeah, I mean, I would go Jazz in five, but I, I'll, I'll say Jazz in six because they're not, they don't have home court here. I actually, and I'll be honest, I think that's probably why the Thunder get a slight boost here is the fact that they're going to be at home, uh, for these games in the series. But I, I, I like the Jazz for sure. I'd go Jazz in six. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about the, the home court factor. For what it's worth, the model says that this particular series has the highest probability of any first round series of going the full seven at 28%, but it thinks the most likely ending of the series is in six games. And I think that speaks to what uh, you guys were saying where the sixth game happens to be at Utah. And so that certainly seems to set up for Utah winning in that number of games. Okay, let's move on to the next series. We've got number three seed Portland Trailblazers against the number six seed New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, and this is a series, I think, also that uh, our model doesn't quite exactly know what to do with. It gives the Blazers a 58% chance of winning. Uh, but I, I'm curious as to whether you guys think that that's too high or too low, because I personally actually don't know. I guess it might seem a little bit too low for the Blazers, given how well they played uh but i'm curious what you guys think you know i'm curious here i i think that the pelicans could pull off an upset here i don't think they will necessarily but i i like the pelicans to take at least two games in the series just because i think ad is that good and i think that he's going to be a massive massive matchup problem for portland uh you know i think that the athleticism that he has um, depending on who they play on him or, you know, the idea if they're going to double him at times, which they might. Um, I, I just think that he's good enough to win at least a game in this series. You remember a couple of years ago, the one other time he was in the playoffs where he's playing against the Warriors, and he basically won a game or two in that series. They almost won a game or two, I guess I should say, because I know they got swept. But, I mean, he's just that good. Um, he's probably the best player in that series. And I think that the series will be tighter than what we're expecting. I think Portland's played above their heads the whole season, too. And so I kind of think that this could be a a wake-up call for the first game or two, depending on how they play AD. Yeah, I am kind of feel the same way. I think Portland has played above their heads, but... Uh, they, and it looked like that, uh, maybe around, uh, just after the All-Star break, but they've pulled it back in over the last, uh, last few weeks also. And so, uh, we're going to find out, you know, which, which Portland defense are we looking at? Uh, can the Portland offense, uh, you know, rise above, like, basically league average? They've been, I think, over, on the overall season, depending on, you know, which offensive rating you look at, uh, either 15, 16, or 17, uh, which is not very good over the last, uh, I think, two months they've risen to you know the top 10 uh, or just outside uh which is still not good enough and so like are they going to be able to score against really kind of a mediocre pelicans defense and so for me like that's the big question for for portland uh, can they uh get the offense together which you know has never been the problem for them or like has rarely been the problem for them but it has been all season and uh can the defense you know which has uh come and gone um, in effect, we've talked about this a few times across the season where, uh, the underlying metrics of the defense, like the, the shot difficulty that they've been, you know, forcing on other teams has remained about the same, but, uh, their results from month to month have varied wildly. Like teams are scoring all over them some months and just, you know, they're extremely good the next. So, um, so we need to see, you know, who shows up here. And those shot defense metrics were they were they really good though? Even even though uh, the results have swung wildly around them, have they been generally pretty surprisingly good? Right, I should say they have been top three, top two um, all season in that. So which is surprising given how this team's reputation was kind of going into the season. Right, and uh, so we talked a little bit about this, but uh, just to go over for you know anyone listening is uh, they they changed the scheme basically where they didn't have. 
uh, you know, Dame and McCollum and like all their weaker defenders chasing guys around, just getting beat all over. The, the idea now was just, we're just going to drop like in, you know, the, the drop defense on pick and roll and everything else is the thing that goes around the league, but they made it into an identity where we don't have great perimeter defenders. Your job is not to stay in front of your man. It's just to get back into the play and like all the big men will just drop. So they'll give up, you know, the mid range shot. They'll give up, um, you know, grounds like kind of in a chess match you'll give up material and you know uh positioning in order to you know not just be all the way out of the play and that's that's worked for them um in parts this season so chris what do you think the this might tell us about the rest of the playoff picture depending on who wins i mean i I think it might just tell you the one thing i'm always interested in with portland uh, you know especially last year when they were missing nurkic uh right after they made that trade and going into the playoffs he tried to come back almost a little too early um what I think it might be able to tell you is just kind of how how does Nurkic handle a guy that is way more athletic than he is defensively, and in some level, if if he can't stay with him, uh, what does it mean for when Portland wins the series and then plays a team that has a stretch big, or plays a team that decides that they don't want to play a big, they want to play kind of a stretch four, um, you know, somebody like that 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 Nurkic would have to chase and can't really drop the way that Kyle's referring to, and so I think that that's going to be a big part of this series i think the series could even go seven um depending on whether or not they have a really good answer for ad or a way to guard him drew holiday is going to be really good in this series i think too but um but i you know i think portland just how do they go about guarding an athletic big given that nurkic is a little slower and more classic as a big man yeah i mean for me it's about the same it's what's your plan for ad because next series you have kd (laughs) and uh, that's another basically seven footer who does, uh, what AD does and a lot more. And so, uh, if you don't have a plan for Davis, like, I, I don't even know where you're gonna start with Durant. Okay, so what's your official prediction, Kyle, for this series? Uh, Blazers in six? I, I'm, I'm bad at picking games, whatever. I'll say Blazers so, uh, in six. We it's all fun. are. Yeah. We all are. This is all for fun. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Blazers in seven, but I, I think the Pelicans have a real shot here. Uh, man, and, and, you know, one more time for the record, I really wish Cousins could get this playoff experience. Um, you know, it's a totally different situation if you're talking about him and AD in a series against the, the Blazers, just because that's a lot of star power. All of a sudden, you'd have probably more star power than, than the Blazers have. Yeah, and we, we spoke about this earlier in the season, right? Uh, Cousins is still one of the best players ever to not make the playoffs and that's still going to persist it's it's really sad to see him sit on the sideline as his team kind of does make that playoff push right right. a guy who's had like two i do you have two 40 20 games this season like it's so like we we talked about the the davis like almost winning a couple games like i think he almost won two against the the warriors that season and like boogie could like easily almost win a game or two whatever like if if they do that combined for three times you only need one more right (laughs) Yeah, just it's simple math uh, of of guys winning games by themselves. So for what it's worth, this is the second most likely series to go seven games, according to our model, and only a little bit behind OKC in Utah. Uh, most likely finish is in six games, according to our model, and like we said, the Blazers were were favored there. Okay, let's move on to the final series, and uh, at least according to the names on the fronts of the jerseys, it looks like a really good one, but that might not be the case based on the players playing in it. We've got the number two seeded Golden State Warriors 
Spurs against the number seven seed San Antonio Spurs. There's a lot to talk about with our model in particular and the way it ranks the Warriors. It only gives the Warriors a 4% chance of winning the championship, which I think we can all agree is, uh, very much on the low side. Uh, and so we do have to kind of take that, uh, into, into account and, and with a grain of salt as we're talking about this because right now, our model only gives the Warriors a 56% chance of winning this first round series with the Spurs. Uh, and so I'm going to guess that you guys think that that's a little bit too low, but I'd like to hear you kind of elaborate on, on what's going on there. All right, so there's a t- so the Warriors won what fifty eight games this season fifty eight. 50- mm-hmm. uh, so there's a team that like went to the finals for three straight years um, in the fourth season, and they won titles. Uh, and so the fourth season come back, you know, stars are in and out of the lineup. Uh, you know, everyone is clearly you know checked out. This is a team that has checked out in the past. They won fifty six games, and you know, kind of cruise back to the finals. This is the two thousand four uh, two thousand four Lakers, right? And the two thousand four Lakers uh, did not win the title, but like they, they went to the finals. They went to the finals. This is not like a series that the Warriors are going to lose. I think obviously the most important team in this series is the Celtics somehow in the last twelve hours, which like that was Dwayne Wade saying like the you know, Kawhi Leonard might be traded to the Celtics, whatever. Um. Kawhi Leonard doesn't look like he's he's going to be ready for this series. Uh, this isn't uh, much of a contest. This, the Warriors somehow lucked out with the Spurs in in the bracket and like in this team full of you know par- uh, tank full of piranhas. Um, but yeah, like the Warriors are obviously going to win this. They are obviously you know higher than four percent. Um, but and and then there is a precedent for teams you know just kind of loafing through the season uh, on the back end of you know a run where they've made the finals three stri- three straight years. Man, I wish Kawhi was playing in the series just because it would make it so much more interesting. Um, I mean, honestly, this will sound kind of blasphemous, but there's a part of me, maybe with the exception of Houston and Minnesota, which at least there's a lot of scoring in that series, this kind of feels like the series that if it was up to me would be the NBA TV series just because you, you take Steph out of it and there's no Kawhi there and I'm just not nearly as interested anymore. Um as Kyle said, this should be a relative cakewalk just because the Spurs really don't or shouldn't have enough offense to be able to compete, even with, you know, the way that we we're talking about the Warriors sleepwalking lately and the fact that, you know, their offense is way, way less efficient with Kevin Durant running it than with Steph running it. Um, so, no, it shouldn't be that competitive. I mean, I expect the Spurs, similar to last year, to keep things interesting. You know, they, they had a lot of games they kept close right up until the last quarter. Um, and that was with Steph playing and with Kawhi out. And so I could see them doing the same thing here. Aldridge could get hot, you know, and, and maybe win a game for them. Popovich is just a great coach. You know, maybe he can kind of um, engineer a game for them to win. But, I, I mean, I, I'd be a little surprised if this gets to six games. Um, I could see it happening. Um, who knows? Maybe Durant gets hurt and all of a sudden – the Warriors are in a world of trouble. Uh, I don't expect to, Kawhi to come back, but if the Warriors are to lose a key guy, it, it could get interesting. But I, I still would expect the Warriors to find a way to win the series. Now, what do you guys make of the Warriors sort of, I think you described it as kind of sleepwalking down the stretch of the season? Because I do think that that is the biggest thing that's driving our ratings being so different than other places. For instance, in the Vegas odds, it's about... 40 to 50 percent for the Warriors to win the West as opposed to our current odds of 8 percent according to the Carmelo model. Is this something that's kind of an intractable problem of rating systems when you're using regular season data and especially something like ELO, which gives more 
credit and more weight to late season form, uh, that there are just these teams that sort of can coast through the season. And this is garbage in, garbage out. The data is not predictive. And so... You know, for, for a lot of teams, for most of the league, maybe there is predictiveness to their regular season stats, but then you try to kind of throw that in the tank at the same time with these teams that are just too talented to, to have it even matter. Uh, is that kind of what's driving this disparity? Cause I've never seen a disparity like this, even with peak Cavs, I think last year or a couple of years ago where they sort of coasted through the season and our odds were way off on them. This seems even more kind of ludicrous in terms of the gap. So it is ludicrous. I'm not sure it's more ludicrous than the Cavs thing because the Cavs <laughs> thing, like they were like third in the East or something like that by our ratings, uh, which was also. Well, you also had to deal with a lot of uh, uh, emails about that at the time, right? Right. And like I re- replied to all the emails. I agree. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> this is this, this looks wrong to me. Um, but uh, and I all the tweets and whatever else, too. Um, but I think that this is something that like could uh, possibly be baked into future iterations because it is also it's a little bit predictive because confidence tells right the players know is is my basic thing like everyone like likes to talk about oh you know players uh make bad gms they don't know how to build a team like and you know take what that one do i i disagree with them but like the players uh do tend to know who the best teams are who the best players are who the most capable people on the floor are and like that doesn't that isn't always uh reflected in the stats that we have like it took uh, the thing i always go back to is it took baseball years and years to come up with a a model that told them that each row was good <laughs> because uh by you know the well the that each row was great that right that row was great yeah. sure but like cuz all the basic metrics is on base whatever and so i i think so bring this all back to what we're talking about uh, I think that there is a thing about like confidence. So if a team is so good, if it's ta- if its players are so talented, like you, you that, that there should be separation between them and the league, and there's not, that like you kind of bake in like a confidence thing of like whatever of oh yeah they they feel like they can they have an on off switch that they can do this thing, and so that there there might there are a lot of teams there have been a lot of teams that have false confidence. That, well, I was that... going to ask, how do you kind of separate that from the false positive where you assume that a team that's underachieving is just going to turn it around and they don't? That's kind of the frustrating thing from a maybe statistical point of view as sort of the resident stat head on, on the panel here is that it is kind of difficult to know when a team is loafing and they will turn it around versus when a team is just bad. So, but I'm, so like turning that back to you, like, have there been like studies or like you know, not studies, but like has anyone like done the research on uh, these teams that have underperformed so much and like how this tends to turn out when there are you know players with you know a certain you know amount of win shares, a certain amount of you know whatever whatever thing we're using to you know delineate stars from not stars. Well, I definitely think that the uh, models that take into account like player talent and and injuries and these are all things that the Carmelo model doesn't really take into account. It knows how good the team is on paper at the beginning of the season but then from that point on it just kind of plays the games out using this ELO formula that updates after every game but only takes into account the results of the team so I think in some ways this is how Vegas is coming to what they have right is that they have models that do kind of project out hey this team has this amount of talent maybe you adjust it a little bit downward because as we'll talk about in the east the Cavs are less of a favorite than they have been in the past uh, and, and they probably have as 
much talent as they've had in the past. And so you do sort of have this balancing act of, well, we'll, we'll you know, adjust a little bit downward based on observed performance, but not too much downward. And that seems to be sort of the case with the Warriors, too. They're not the overwhelming favorite in, in the uh, Vegas books that they were going into, say, last year's playoffs. Uh, but they're still much higher than a pure stats-based system would have as our model is evidence of. I mean, I'll be really, really honest here. Um, I mean, you, your initial question, Neil, was kind of what are the projection models missing? And I mean, I think we know even from our own that ours doesn't have a way to factor in injuries. And so very clearly here, you know, Steph, um, you know, I've, I've even kind of tweeted this before, how fun it is sometimes to watch Steph play when Katie is hurt or to watch Katie play when Steph is hurt because their numbers are just off the charts as individuals. Now, the team doesn't play as well. And particularly when Steph is the guy that's out, they don't play nearly as well just because of everything we've talked about. The gravity that he causes, the fact that you have to kind of track him right as he crosses half court, the fact that he's a better passer than Katie. Um, the fact that the way you have to play their pick and roll when he's playing with Draymond or Katie in a pick and roll situation. Um, we know all that. The numbers prove all that. It bears that out. Uh, we've seen how they play when Steph is not totally healthy in the finals and how much that's cost them. So we know, you know, even if you don't think Steph is their best player, I think we know he's their most important player. So I'll, I'll say something that's pretty blunt here. And it goes against the grain of what I've said before. If Steph were to be out for the rest of the playoffs, I actually think 8% would be a totally accurate number right now in terms of their chances of winning a title. I don't think they would win a title if Steph was out and not coming back. I mean, you want to talk about loafing and, you know, the idea that you're just kind of soft pedaling and soft shoeing it. You know, I, I don't think the Warriors are trying as hard as they possibly can right now, but at the same time, even if they were, I don't think they'd be good enough to win a title without Steph. So for that reason, I think the number is accurate, but again, that's coming from a place of the ELO model kind of having a recency bias and not being able to take totally into account the injuries. Yeah, imagine this Warriors team if it was sort of led by KD and led by all the other All-Stars that they have, but like Curry was somehow never a part of it. We would think of that team very differently, but I think we would also consider it somewhat disappointing if that team didn't at least, you know, make the finals or contend e- even if Curry wasn't part of it just because they have Durant and they have Clay and and Draymond and so forth, but that's an interesting sort of thought experiment about where they would be without him. So, uh let's just close up the show by making our picks uh on this series. Uh what do you guys think uh for the Warriors against the Spurs? I'm going to go Warriors in five just out of you know, deference to deference Pop. Deference to like, Pop. Like just, he's, got, he's got DeJounte Murray. He's got like Forbes. He's got Mills. He's got like uh, just this team is not – this team is not stocked for this. Uh, but, yeah, maybe they get a game. I, I might give the Spurs two games here just because I think the questions that we have about the Warriors and trying their absolute hardest – you know, granted it's the playoffs, but they've been here, done that at this point. You know, this is not new to them at all. Uh, they probably are happy that they got the Spurs in this matchup. The Spurs are the one team that's not really going to quit. Um, and so, I mean, maybe, maybe they do have a, a performance where they just shoot really well. Um, you know, maybe their ball movement gets the best of, of Golden State one game. Pop maybe gets them a game. Uh, just for the hell of it, I'll say that it's, it's a six game series and that the Spurs find a way to win two games here. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, at least according to our model, which we just spent time uh, questioning, the, there is uh, the greatest probability for the series is that it finishes in six games. Uh, and like we said, the Warriors are the favorite there. So, uh, And I think that, that jives with what you, you were saying earlier, Chris, about the Warriors without Steph, that the quality as represented at least by this model might be more in the neighborhood of being accurate um, as long as they don't have Curry. All right, that'll do it for part one, which is our Western Conference preview. Stay tuned tomorrow when we'll upload the East. Our podcast producers are, as always, Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. You can keep sending us your questions and comments at podcast at 538.com. We'd love to hear from you. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Wherever you find the show, be sure to review and rate it. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening and talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.